Thanks for being here today. Uh, before we jump in, if you guys would just bow your heads and pray with me. God, we thank you for summer. We thank you for this church. God, we thank you for who you are. We ask, God, that in the sermon today about love, that you would open our hearts. Let us hear what you want us to hear, what your spirit wants to teach to us today. We love you so much. May this sermon exalt you above all else, God, and show how your son is the true interpretation of all of the scriptures. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. So, um, as I said before, if I haven't met you, my name's Adam. I'm the operations director here. Um, uh, and I'd love to, to meet you, if I haven't met you yet, at the barbecue afterwards. I'll be the one sweating a little bit more than everybody else. <laughs> so um, please hang out with us after the barbecue. Today starts our love series. It's going to be a three-part series. And today, um, I'm starting it, then Nick, and then myself again. And to kick off this series, I'm just going to tell a quick story. So there once was two soldiers. They were in the middle of a vicious battle. Um, they came across one of their fallen comrades, a third soldier, who was dying. He was bleeding out. And they knelt next to this soldier. The battle was brutal. It was resources were scarce, especially water. There was almost no water left. Everybody was dehydrated. Some people were passing out because of dehydration. Um, they kneel next to their comrade who's bleeding out. And he says to them, I'm thirsty. And one soldier hears that. And he thinks to himself in his mind, He's thirsty, but he's bleeding out, and water's scarce. I don't know that it's a good idea for me to give him this water when he's on his way out like this. I don't know if that's wise. He thinks that to himself in his head. The second soldier sees him bleeding out and says to himself, my friend is dying. I got to give him the last of the water that I have to comfort him as he moves on. War ends. Both of these friends go to the funeral that they're able to have after the war for the fallen friend. Both of them in the funeral say that they loved the friend. Now, I don't think I need to explain or convince any of you which one of the two soldiers probably really loved the friend with sincerity in his heart and which one was probably a little self-deceived. Probably a little self-deceived about it. Now, even if you relate to the cold logic of the first soldier, if we're talking about an example of sincere and authentic love, we're going to look at the second soldier, not the first soldier, even if there's a part of you that understands his reasoning. And look, most of us aspire to this authentic kind of love, this sincere love that just flows out of a heart at any given moment. Most of us look at that and say that that's good. I should probably have more of that in my life. The culture sings about it. Culture loves this kind of love. It's the thing that saves Harry Potter in the first book, okay? The love of his mom. It's everywhere. We don't have to convince you, probably, that this is something that we should probably aspire to. That's good. An authentic love that comes from the heart like that. So we need to ask ourselves, how can we have that sincere love? How can we have more of that sincere love? How does that become a part of us as opposed to the first soldier, more like the second soldier? How can that become a part of who we are? And I think First Peter, our text today, is going to speak to this. First Peter 1, 22 through 25. Let's jump into it. We're going to be in the CSB version. I'm going to have it up here. Feel free to pull it up on your phones as well. Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show a sincere brotherly love for each other, 
from a pure heart love one another constantly, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. Okay, so that's our, our passage, but before we even jump into this, before we even jump into this, we need to define love. It's a word that gets thrown around a lot, you know what I'm saying? We use love for a lot of different things, and it's important. We, we don't want a dollar store definition of love. We want the real thing, because this is a big part of our lives. Here's what I'm saying. The, the dollar store sells pregnancy tests, okay? But are you really going to roll the dice on a dollar store pregnancy test? No, you're going to spend $20 and go to CVS. That may or may not have been something that my wife and I did once upon a time. <laughs> so, what is love? What is sincere love? Let's consult that oracle of our time. By that, I just mean Google. <laughs> um, here's the first definition that Google gives of love. Intense feeling of deep affection. Okay, this is like, think parents, children, affection. Children back towards parents, friends, right? Yeah, okay, this is probably something that we use the word love for a lot in our life. We can totally see this. Intense feeling of deep affection. That, that makes sense. That's probably our experience. Here's the next one. Deep, romantic, or sexual attachment to someone. Bow, bow. This one also is, is, we see this a lot though, right? I think of uh, season three of Stranger Things. For those of you who have watched it, it's a story about teenagers uh, fighting aliens, more or less. <laughs> and Mike, who's in Stranger Things, is like peak puberty. He's growing like a beanstalk. He's all gangly. He's like no coordination. He's like a baby giraffe on a frozen lake, okay? He is, he is peak puberty. He's more hormone than human right now. And he, uh, he says in season three that he loves Elle, who is a female character in the show. She, he, he thinks she's hot. She's got powers. He says, I love you, okay? Maybe I'm judging Mike a little too hard. Maybe, maybe it's more than just infatuation for him. But this is kind of that romantic love that we see in culture. This is, I mean, a lot of songs, a lot of uh, TV is about this kind of love specifically. We see this one a lot. Here's the third one. A great pleasure or interest in something. Okay, this is, I love football. Okay, we love the, the mountains. Okay, they love Pop-Tarts. All right, this is the third kind of love that Google says is kind of like a more common use of it. But here's the thing, how confusing is this? Like, we use the same word to describe Pop-Tarts as we do people, okay? Not helpful oftentimes. Hopefully, it's not the same for you. Hopefully, you're not like, yeah, Pop-Tarts, my wife, same thing, right? No, okay? So this could be confusing. So let's go to what the Bible says about love explicitly. It says a lot of things kind of by proxy, tacitly. It says a couple things explicitly about love. We're going to the Bible because we as Christians, the, for us, the Bible is authoritative. The Bible is the word of God. So if it gives a definition of love, that should matter to us. That should matter to us a lot. So here's the first definition. It comes from 1 John um, 3.16. Not John 3.16, the famous verse. This is 1 John 3.16. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. Talking about Jesus. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is how we have come to know it, John says. Jesus. Here's the second one. It comes from John 15, 12 through 13. This is, this is Jesus talking. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. 
No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. Now, for Jesus and the way that the scripture defines love, it's incredibly other-centered. No greater love than laying your life down for your friends. That's the pinnacle. That's what Jesus did. And Jesus says, this is love. I'm telling you. John says, this is how you know love, because Jesus. Other-centered. Consideration, kindness, care for others. Now, I, I just want to point out how different this is to the culture's normal use of the word love. Let's even go back, actually, to this Google definition here. All of these things, sometimes they have an other-centricness to them. Maybe except this last one. I don't know how you have like an other-centricness to like a Pop-Tart or something. I don't know how that works. But um, in general, you can have that for feelings, deep, deep affection, romantic love, the, the other-centered considerationness you can have. But here's the bottom line. You don't have to. You can have an affection for someone because they bring you something. You can have a romantic love for something because that benefits you. It doesn't have to be other-centric. And oftentimes, I don't think we have to go through a lot of examples to know that it's not. Oftentimes it's not, and so especially here, if, you, if you're considering Christianity here today, if you're thinking about it, I just want to point out how different this is, okay? I just want to point out how incredibly contrasting these two are. For Jesus, it's always other-centered. That's what love is. Okay, so now let's turn and let's read actually 1 Peter again. Now that we can see maybe how Peter is understanding love, Let's read it again with this new context we have. Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other, from a pure heart love one another constantly, because you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. Okay, changes the perspective on it maybe a little bit. So but the first question that we ask, what are the ways that we don't love sincerely? Peter's, this is like an explicit encouragement from him, love this way. What are the ways maybe we don't do that, like the first soldier where there's not a lot of sincerity behind that love, wasn't willing to do anything that's going to cost him as his friend is leaving this world. What are the ways that we don't love sincerely. Here's the first. Look at verse 22. Look at how uh, Peter used the word purified, pure, twice. Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, and then he says, from a pure heart, love one another constantly. Here's the implication. In the course of loving people, we can have impure hearts. <laughs> He's encouraging us to have pure hearts because sometimes it's not pure. What do you mean it's not pure? Well, it's not the right motives. It's love with quotation around it. Maybe you're doing something kind, doing something considered, doing something thoughtful of somebody else, but really it's about you. Really, you're loving yourself. What, are, what, are, what do you mean? What are some examples of this? Well, think about the way that we can love things just for personal gain, like you just want to, them to pay you back later. Maybe you just don't want to deal with a conflict. You're just placating, placating them. Maybe you just want favor. Maybe you just want somebody to like you. So you're doing these, quote-unquote, loving things for them for really for your own purposes. Maybe sometimes this happens with your boss. Maybe sometimes this happens with a spouse. You just don't want them to be mad. 
maybe with a friend that you commit to something with. It could be a lot of different things, the way that we quote-unquote love each other, really for our own personal gain. And Peter is saying, love from a pure heart, because it's possible to not do that. It's possible to love from an impure heart. Maybe you're even doing, maybe you're even loving out of duty, because you should, and you know that you should. Which, okay, like, that's fine, but here's the bottom line. Anyone that does that for a long period of time, you're going to know that. <laughs> you're going to know if you're a kid and your parents, your dad maybe, is just loving you just because he feels like he's supposed to, as opposed to coming out of the depths of his heart because he really cares and considers and thinks of you and prioritizes you. You can tell when it's just out of duty. You can tell even oftentimes just any kind of impurity, right, when it's love focused on us. Um, this is a way, you know, this is love other than how the Bible defines it. So Peter invites us to examine our motives, examine our hearts, to love purely. So where are the places and the people that maybe your quote-unquote love is really about you? Where are you maybe writing that birthday card just so they don't get mad? Where are you, where are you just placating someone just so you're getting along, so you don't have to deal with conflict. The text is inviting us to examine our motives behind some of the loving acts, other-centered acts that we do. It's inviting us to examine our motives. Here's the next one that Peter says. Love one another constantly. This is his encouragement, to love constantly. By implication, sometimes we don't love at all. Whoa, that scared me. Um, sometimes we don't even love at all. Sometimes we just, you're like Joey from Friends when somebody tries to eat a bite of his burger. He's like, Joey doesn't share food. You don't even try, okay? And Peter's saying sometimes, or Peter's saying we need to love constantly. This is what a biblical love is. It's a consistent love. And he encourages them to love one another constantly. I was in a, I had a conversation with somebody the other day. This was years ago. I don't know why I said the other day. It was years ago. <laughs> and, uh, and, she, and she was talking about this guy that she had been dating um, and it was serious. And I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. Do you think it's moving towards marriage? And she said, I don't know. Um, I don't know that he meets my needs the way that I want. And I thought to myself, wow, okay. Um, that is something, I didn't say this, but I mean, that lens, to walk into marriage with that lens is totally different than to walk into a marriage and to say, how can I serve? How can I care for? How can I bless? How am I thinking about their wants? Am I thinking about their dreams and their desires? And it's going to lead to two very different results. Two very different results. She was concerned. I mean, I'm not going to say that she didn't love the person she was dating and thoughtful of him, maybe give some gifts. Sure, she probably did that. But to have that foundational perspective of going into a marriage, what needs can you meet for me? I mean, that's a, that's a, fa that's a failure in foundation right there. And Peter says, love constantly. Love constantly, because oftentimes we just don't. Where and with whom are your utter failures to love? Where and with whom are we thinking about ourselves? What are the specific people, the specific things, and the specific places that God's Spirit wants to speak to you about? Maybe that you're self-focused, but the Spirit of the loving God who created heaven and earth wants to change that perspective wants to change that action. So the text invites us 
to see who is that for us? Who is that for us? So, okay, sometimes we fail, sometimes we have impure hearts. This is kind of the implication of what Peter is saying. So how can we grow then? How do we get better at this? How do we get to the place where, no matter the situation, it's an authentic love that comes out of our hearts rather than a cold calculation of logic? How can we grow in sincere love? Look at verse 23. Peter says, this is like the trail end of his logic here, because you have been born again from a pure heart, love one another constantly, because you have been born again. Look, our love, we have a new identity when you commit your life to Christ, when Jesus saves you. He gives you a new identity. There's a cosmological change that happens for you. It's a new identity. And, and what, what, what the implication here is, is that our old identity, that's where the impure and failures to love comes from. Peter's reminding them that they've been born again into a new identity. And it's that new identity that you have to consider and grow in as you grow in sincere love. It, not of imperishable, he says. Uh, sorry, not of perishable, but of imperishable. Imperishable I mean, this is a quote kind of from John 3 when Jesus says they need to be born again for the first time. And it's basically talking about eternal life. Jesus has saved us into eternal life and joy with him and the Father and the family of God. This new identity should characterize us. This new identity should characterize us. Here's, here's the bottom line. Here's what I'm saying. Look, because you have been born again, born of what? Born of God. Born of God's Spirit. You've been remade, and you're like him. And those who are born of God are to be like God. Here's the thing about love. God claims ownership of love. Look, you're not going to take credit for your eye color, right? That'd be weird. You're not going to take credit for the fact that you can walk, you have 10 fingers, you think, you can... God said, here's, what, here's the implication of this. Love, you can't take credit for that either. The universe was formless and without void and without love until God brought it in. It's his idea. It's his likeness. It comes from him. And any time we see that beauty in ourselves and in others, it comes from God. And so those who are born of God should love like the author of love. Those who are born of God should love the way that he defines it because we're new. We're not of perishable seed anymore. We've been changed. This is what Peter is saying. How can we grow in sincere love by pushing into the, into the identity of being born again. Here's the second thing. How can we grow in sincere love? Here's the second thing that he says. Through the living and enduring word of God. Again, this is the tail end of his logic. Love one another with a pure, uh, from pure heart. Love one another constantly because you have been born again through the living and enduring word of God, which is, and this is the word, and, and this word is the gospel. That's what, the, that's what the word of God is, Peter's saying. It's the gospel. Okay, cool, Adam. The gospel, sweet. The gospel changes me. I get that. How cute. Did you read that off your mug this morning? That is super great, but also abstract. What does that mean for me? How does the gospel affect my purity of love? How, like, that's cute. But how does that make sense? Well, let me tell you just a little story. Just a little story. So um, there was a time a couple years ago um, where I, I would get into bed. I'd be tired, and I'd get into bed. Lights would still be on. My wife would come in. She would get into bed. Then I would say, hey, babe, you're the last one in bed. Why don't you turn the lights off? And she would say, oh, I'm, 
I thought you were, I thought you needed them. I don't, I don't know. And then I would argue with her and I would say, I would either do one of two things. I would say, um, well, you're the last one in. That's not fair. You should get out and turn the lights off. I would either do that or I would begrudgingly ugh, get up and click it and then go back and get in bed. The last, the farthest thing from pure, okay, that Peter's talking about. I would do one of those two things. But I knew, I knew in my heart that something probably wasn't right about that. <laughs> Some of you are like, uh, yeah, you think? What do you want from me? I'm a sinner, okay? I knew, I, and I said to God, I, I, as I was beginning, as this was stirring in my soul, I said to God, God, I get that maybe there's something wrong with this. I don't get what it is, though. And I don't want to act irrationally. I don't want to do something that doesn't make sense to me. Not what I should have said, but nonetheless, what I did say to God. And I said, I need you to show me why I should do this. Like, this is unfair. Would you just want me to keep doing unfair things the rest of my life, God? I know this conversation is filled with wisdom. And, um, and then a few months later, I was at this conference. And I was sitting in the audience, and the speaker said this really simple thing that I've heard probably a thousand times. Probably heard it over and over and over again. Um, he said something like, Praise the Lord that he didn't do what was fair for you. And I heard it, and I was like, oh my gosh. That's how the gospel defines fair. That's what fair is in the gospel. I thought to myself, because here's the bottom line. I didn't deserve God's love and grace, his authentic love and grace. I, didn't des I deserve judgment from him. The perfect creator, I rebelled against him, sought my own way rather than his. And here I am, complaining about the fact that from my perspective, it's not fair for me to have to get up and turn the light out. And in this, that one moment, when the speaker said, praise God that he didn't do what was fair for us, I thought to myself, oh Lord, I have not been in step with your gospel. I'm so sorry. And in that one moment, the power of God's love swept into my heart and destroyed my logic, utterly annihilated my understanding of reason, completely blew it up because the gospel isn't fair. And thank God that it's not. Thank God that the gospel isn't fair. And that's how we love. That's how we love. We don't ask. We don't come to situations and ask, but is this fair for me? How am I going to get what I should get? Here, that's not how we were loved. God didn't, the great exchange of Jesus on the cross is not him asking you to pay something. It's him paying it. That's how the God, the, the God of love calls us to look at fair when we love. How can we grow in sincere love? By understanding that truth more and more and more. Look, that example Here's the thing about that example. That's how most of your chances are going to be. Most of your chances aren't going to be with your buddy bleeding out on the battlefield. 
Most of them are going to be daily decisions. One after another, after another, after another, where you can choose you, or you can let the gospel of grace define what love is for you. And instead of asking what's fair, asking how did my Lord love me? God, what do you want me to do? In those little decisions, slowly the gospel takes ground. Slowly the gospel takes root. That's how the gospel applies to how we love. It applies to everything, by the way. When the Bible talks about how we change, how we can actually change that first soldier, cold reason, how does, how does a heart like that change? How does a heart that's impure stop doing that? How does a heart that is, that is not even thinking about love start to think about it? It's exposure to the gospel, praying, meditating, talking, reading, thinking about the truth of the gospel and how it applies to every single aspect of your life. Every single aspect. That's the unfairness, the wonderful and beautiful unfairness of the gospel of grace. How can we grow in sincere love? By realizing our identity, that we've been born again. And by seeing the way that the gospel loved us. Not what was fair. Not what was fair. So, what should sincere love look like in our lives? As we begin to grow in this, we begin to identify the places we're not even loving at all, and even the places where our love is really about us. It's really about us. As, we, as God begins to show you that, and as the truth of the gospel begins to take root in the little things, in your daily life, how, how should it look? What, at least, what does Peter say about that? What does Peter say about how it should look? Here's what I love about this passage. He says, because you have been born, again, of imperishable seed. Born, seed. What do both of these things do? They grow. Babies grow. Seeds grow. They change. They start out one way. And if they're healthy, they, change, they grow and they change and they mature. Like if you saw a baby that wasn't growing, like, that would be the weirdest thing. You'd be like, what is happening? Are you like feeding him or are you just not? <laughs> you know? like, what is happening? If you saw a plant that just stayed like how it is, I go to this one coffee shop and there's this coffee plant in the coffee shop and it doesn't get enough light, so it's been the same for like two years. The plant is just, the it's got like two leaves. It's the saddest thing ever. And it's just chilling there. One of them died and there's just one now. It's like, it's a sad story. But anyway, being born and seed, these things grow and they change. Do you see that? Has your love changed? The places that you love, the way that you love, the heart behind your love. Is it different even just one year? Hopefully it's different with 10 years. Even just one year, one month. Because this is what, this is what people who have been saved by Jesus do. They mature as they stare into the bottomless wonder of his unfair love. They change, and they grow, and they mature. What should sincere love look like in our lives? Like change. That's what it should look like. So in conclusion, in conclusion, how can we have sincere love? How does that become a part of us? Well, first, first we need to detox from the culture. 
all the different ways that it uses love for Oreos and for spouses, okay? We need to detox from the culture and then see the way that Jesus, the author, defines it. The one who brought love into a cold and voidless form. The author itself, the one who brought it into the world, first we need to see what he says about it and submit to that. Then we need to examine where is it impure? Where is our hearts, our old selves, defining our action and what we do? Where is that happening? Where, where are we not even attempting it? Where are you not even sharing your food? Okay? And then, as you begin to identify, and God brings these things to the forefront of your mind, how do we grow? Well, you've been born again. There's been a cosmic change to who you are. The, the Spirit of God now sits in you and is with you at all times. And peering into the gospel of grace. Peter says it's the gospel that's the, the vehicle, the motor that changes us this way. The enduring word of God, which is the gospel. It's not just a cute bumper sticker. This is the power of God. The power of change. The power to continue in sanctification, which is a fancy word for just becoming more like God. To continue in that. The gospel is the power of that. It's the motor behind it. And then, what it looks like is continued steps and change and difference and newness that maybe you weren't doing before. We need to evaluate ourselves and hold ourselves accountable to this. Is our love maturing? Is our love maturing and becoming more like the way that Jesus loved us? How can we have a sincere love? By letting the gospel put it there. That's how. So when we take communion, when we take communion, we remember Jesus said in the upper room before he went to the cross, do this in remembrance of me. So let's do that together. Let's remember the sacrifice and love of a God who gave his one and only son, the Lord Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord, such a common word, God, love. We see it and hear it everywhere. God, I pray that you help us to take a step back from that word and that concept today and to see that it was yours first. Jesus, love was yours before you ever brought it into the universe. Thank you that every time that we see it, we see a piece of you, a selfless, other-considered, other-prioritized love, God. I thank you that that's how you define it. That's how you did it. And Lord, I pray just confession that we have not loved as you have loved. God, show us the places that you want to change, that you want us to surrender and hand over to you. God, show us those places. And Lord Jesus, change us. May the truth of who you are and what you have done, the good news of the gospel, change us. Lord Jesus, we love you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.